Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to More Than Amuse podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hi everyone and welcome to More Than Muse. I'm Stani. I'm Sadie and wow, here we are. We actually kind of have a setup now. Yeah. Bear with us as we get used to it looking at the camera versus looking at the laptop and therefore looking at each other. I know. You're I probably going to catch us probably looking at each other a little bit more because that feels more natural. Mm. But we'll try to look onward every once in a while. But also, also looking, looking onward might be creepy, so who knows. This is Winston. He's thrilled <laughs> with the new setup because he feels like he can sit in my lap the whole time. So you're going to probably see him a lot more Awesome. Well, we're going to keep on going in our Women in Rock Week. If Mm -hmm. you've been listening throughout the week, you've probably, or month, I guess, excuse Mm -hmm. me, you've probably picked up on that. Um, We started out the year with Stani talking about Stevie Nicks, so an icon, someone that everybody knows and loves. And then last week, we had the opportunity to talk to the author of She's a Badass, Women in Rock, on feminism. Super cool. But today, I get to talk about someone who is a lot more behind the scenes, which is like really the message of what More Than a Muse is, you know? Definitely. It's all about the people that we don't know as much. And so I was actually really excited when I was introduced to this person. So her name is Carol Kay. And when the name was like first told to me, I was like, Carol King? No, Carol Kay, different person. And I actually, I work at a music school and one of the teachers was in the lobby and a parent was in there as well. And I don't know why it got brought up, but I didn't bring up. I have a podcast. I was so weird. Like, <laughs> You're good. It does come up more often than you'd think, actually. But I guess it's because yeah. like, this is a normal routine of every person's That's life. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Even though it is for us at this point. That is very true. Um, anyways, but the other person who worked there brought up the fact that I have a podcast. And of course, the parent was like, what do you do? That's amazing. I obviously explained. We talk about women artists. And mm-hmm. then he was like, well, have you done an episode on Carol Kay? No, I don't know who that is. He told me all about her. And then I was like, sweet. Now I have to do an episode on Carol Kay. Yeah. And then when we decided we were doing a woman in rock week, I was like, well, this mean is month. just perfect. <laughs> month. Oh my gosh, I keep saying week. Yeah. Month. It's Women in Rock week every week for January. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, shout out to the parent of the place that I work for this tip. And the story is really, really cool. It is going to be a shorter episode than normal just because one, this person is still alive, but two, they're a pretty private person. Mm. Like they don't necessarily love fame or even have been chasing fame. 
Yet I felt like it was worth shouting her out because she is behind the scenes on so many songs that we Mm -hmm. all know and love that like we have to know who she is. So without any further ado, let's talk about Carol Kay. So she is an American musician and she's one of the most prolific recorded bass guitarists in rock and pop music, playing on an estimated 10,000 recordings in a career spanning over 65 years. That's a lot. That is a lot. So yeah, 10,000 songs. Something that I want to define before we get started, if people who are listening are not well-versed in music terms, is a, the thing I want to define is like a session musicianist or like a session player. Mm -hmm. And what those are, are essentially like the musicians that people will hire on just to come into the studio and play the song. So the song's already written, the song's already composed, you know what the song wants to be like, but you'll hire a bassist to come in and play it on the bass guitar lines or you're hire a drummer. So it's not like that they're not always actually writing the song or anything like gotcha. that. They're just supposed to come in and do what they're told. Anyways, that's a session player. And that is what she had a lot, a lot of success doing. Okay. So for her early life is she was born in Everett, Washington to actually other professional musicians, Clyde and Dot Smith. Her father was a jazz trombonist who played in big bands In 1942, though, he sold a piano in order to finance a move to California. I will say I don't think that her father was great. Um, Mm. I think that they struggled a lot with money problems and maybe like abuse towards her mother as well as to her. But like music was the thing that united them as a family. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, they had music. And at the age of 13, she received a steel string guitar from her mom, and she actually began teaching professionally the following year. So after playing for one year, she's she's teaching professionally, wow. which is crazy. <laughs> and I could that, never. <laughs> literally, I've been playing guitar since I was 12. Granted, I haven't been like, I don't know, probably playing mm-hmm. as much as she has, but I wouldn't feel comfortable playing professionally. But something <laughs> that I was interested in is like, I feel like people who look at musicians like, oh, you're going to be a musician when you grow up or whatever. People look at that as like a, oh, you're not going to make a lot of money though. You know, like that's like the stupid, dumb thing to do. But I feel like it's interesting with her. It's very clear that she, she started being a musician almost to make money because she was like, okay, I know if I learn how to play guitar in a year, I'll be able to teach. And that was her job from the beginning. I feel like people like underestimate how many different careers there are in the yeah, arts because we even talked totally. about this with the background singer, Starlene mm-hmm. Love, and I can't remember her name. Uh, Mary Clayton. Yes. Mm-hmm. But how like you would never assume that you could be a professional vocalist without yeah. having to pursue a career that's like fame. True. And yet mm-hmm. they were able to so successfully for so many years. Like there's a lot more careers than I think people realize. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And not even just like in music, but in mm-hmm. the arts period. Yeah. The only way to be successful and make a living in a field isn't by being famous and no, being a household not. name. But I, yeah. I definitely think that's a, a 
very common misconception. Oh, 100%. Especially because, like, I think saying the words, I want to be a musician, people automatically assume, like, oh, you want to be famous. Oh, you want to be famous. Yeah, And it's like, no, maybe some people just want to play music. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be famous either. But, like, true, there's variety. Like, you have choices. (laughs) Exactly. And, like, Carol's whole approach to music was so strictly – almost like practicality of like Mm -hmm. she saw how probably how her family was pursuing this. She knew there was a way to make money. She loved music. And so she jumped right on in and started making her living this way. So this is when she started playing sessions in jazz clubs around LA. So she's first and foremost a jazz musician. So she started playing in LA with groups called like the Bob Neils group with people such as like Jack Sheldon, Teddy Edwards, and Billy Higgins. I'm not as familiar with those names. But Me either. I'm sure they're um, great. I'm sure they're great. I'm just not as prolific in jazz music as maybe I should be. But then in 1957, so she was playing a gig at the Beverly Cavern in Hollywood when a producer named Robert Bumps Blackwell invited her to a recording session for Sam Cooke's arrangement of Summertime. As in that song, it's like, summertime and the living is easy. Oh, Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when she did this, she realized that she could make significantly more money with this session work than she ever could as a player in the jazz clubs. And so she pivoted and decided, cool, let's make this my full-time career. So again, yeah. it's kind of just like the practical approach. Mm-hmm. If this is going to make her more money, that's all she cares about. She still gets to make music. Now for all the songs. Okay. Well, not all the songs. She played on 10,000. I'm not going to sit here and <laughs> It's list. like, are you going to list all 10,000 songs? And now the remainder <laughs> of the episode will be me strictly listing everything she played on. No, no, no. Anyways. So in 1958, she played rhythm guitar on Richie Valen's La Bamba, recorded at Gold Star Studios, Hollywood. Um, and then she started working with the producer, Phil Spector, which actually... Okay. You, it's funny that you brought up Darlene Love and Mary Clayton because their paths crossed a lot with Phil Spector as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, I feel like a lot of musicians crossed paths with him in the 60s, but, you know, just wanted to point out there's yeah. definitely some crossing lines here. And then she played electric guitar on Bobby Socks and the Blue Jeans Zippity Doo Dah and the Crystals Then He Kissed Me, acoustic guitar on the Righteous Brothers You've Lost That Love and Feeling. I. But- Oh my gosh. I have never thought about that song in so many years, but I know every word. Exactly. (laughs) I feel like a lot of these songs, because they're songs from the 60s, it's like Mm -hmm. you don't think about that song. And then as soon as you you do, you're like, oh, wait, I know that song perfectly. Or like maybe you don't recognize it from the title, but I know if you were to go look that song up, you'd be like, oh, yeah, this song. I know this song. Yeah, 100%. All of you have heard it at least once. Exactly. (laughs) And she was the guitar player on a lot of these songs, which is really cool. So she started working with other musicians, including a drummer named Hal Blaine and a guitarist named Glenn Campbell. And then her work with Phil Spector attracted the attention of other record producers. And basically, she just found herself in demand as a regular session player. I want to point out that like she's known as a bass player, but on those original recordings, she was playing guitar. Mm -hmm. So... In 1963, though, a bass player just failed to show up for a session at Capitol Records, and she was just asked to fill in on the instrument because they needed somebody to play it. And after that, she discovered that she just preferred to play bass and that she liked it more. Um, What I liked is that she found it was a key component of a backing track, and it allowed her to play more inventively than 
kind of just like the more simpler mm-hmm. guitar parts that she was playing until then. I feel like sometimes people think that like basses, like playing the bass isn't very, like I, it's not that tricky, but, or I don't know, you're yeah. not, what no, is your take I on the I was going to say this is really funny because over winter break, I ended up watching like mm-hmm. all of these bass guitar videos because fun fact, if I was going to learn an instrument, it would 100% be bass guitar. I want, oh, I did not <laughs> yeah. know this about you. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> I would love to, but um obviously don't have the money and time right now but I was like watching all these things and I saw someone compare it to like guitar is the melody whereas bass guitar is like the rhythm yeah uh and that like if you take out the bass guitar of a lot of songs it completely ruins the song like you don't realize how much it's actually doing Mm -hmm. so yeah I feel like people get the misconception the bass guitar is like five notes repeated over and over again boom 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 yeah Yeah, exactly when in reality it's like a whole lot is going on with it yeah and guitar is important but like bass guitar kind of keeps the song on track totally it's like the grounding rhythmic work that drives the song forward but also like just fills in that low end that you're right like if yeah you might not hear it consciously but if you were to take it out you'd be like something's missing Mm -hmm. and i think another thing with the bass guitar is like i mentioned she liked it because she could be a little bit more inventive mm-hmm. with what she was doing and that's kind of how it works because they'll be like oh these are the chords play it but then it's sometimes up to the bass player to like figure out how they're going to connect those chords and like what lines to do and so i think session bass players would maybe have to be a little bit more creative as opposed to like yeah i mean granted i'm sure there's times where they're like no this is the exact bass line i want you to play but if you're playing for someone that's not a bass player, then they, they're like, I don't know, make it no, work. No, like you, know? you could make it sound better without them even really noticing probably. Yeah, uh-huh. exactly. fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Another just reason why she preferred the bass, it was easier to carry a single bass than having to switch between three or four guitars depending on the song. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So yeah, I don't know if she was in charge of bringing all the guitars, but there'd be an acoustic electric 12 string. They all bring different colors and different sounds. And so, you know, but there's there's one bass, you know. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, so there was another bassist named Ray Pullman, but after he left studio work to become a musical director, she became the most in-demand session bassist in all of Los Angeles. Nice. Los Angeles, you know, there's a lot of music recording going on. So pretty That's a good position to be in. Literally. She, though, did continue to play guitar as well. Some other ones that are notable is um, she played on several Sonny and Cher songs. She played on Frank Zappa's album, Freak Out. What she noted is at the time it was unusual for women to be, for a woman to be such an experienced session player. Mm -hmm. But something that I thought was cool is that she never really remembered, um, like, getting some, like, getting crazy like I don't know sexism from that like she said that she remembers sessions being generally good humors and united by the music which Mm -hmm. I feel like she was professional I imagine that the other people that they were bringing in were professional they knew she was the best and so they would just show up do their jobs get paid and leave yeah there's probably a lot of benefit to session work too where the pressure I feel like isn't as high yeah and uh so people were able to be I think like better versions of themselves probably. Yeah. <laughs> like, or also like there's not really egos involved if you're a session player. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Because everyone who's there as a session player is just there to be hired on. They're not all there trying to become the rock star. 
That's so fair. So I'm sure that that was like easier dynamics to deal with as well. Definitely. She was the sole female member of, okay, there's a group of musicians that were the wrecking crew. And I'm saying that with quotations because she said that like the collective of musicians were never actually known by this name, but it was later invented by someone in the group named Hal Blaine. And I think that almost like he created that name for them as like a marketing ploy later to kind of like cement themselves in history. But like other people in the group thought it was hokey because they were just like, we never called ourselves that. Like, (laughs) why are you giving us a name? Yeah, that's funny. But, you know, as far as the marketing aspect of it, I guess it was a lot more effective. But yeah, it was a collective of studio musicians who played on a lot of hit records from Los Angeles in the 1960s. Then like I mentioned, throughout the decade, even though she was completely unknown to the public, she played bass on so many number of records that appeared on the Billboard Hot 100. And according to the New York Times, she played on 10,000 recording sessions, which is a lot of recording sessions. I like... Is there an artist who has 10,000 songs in their catalog? Probably not. Yeah, because I'm like, that's a lot of songs. That's true. I wonder, like, what is the biggest catalog? An artist with the... Okay. This person says, The Sun Ra discography is one of the largest discovery in music history. The jazz keyboardist, band leader, and composer recorded dozens of singles and over 100 full-length albums comprising well over... 1,000 songs and making him one of the most prolific recording artists of the 20th century. See, that's what I was thinking. I was like, Mm -hmm. a 1,000 songs. Is the most. And that's, you know, a jazz as like themselves. So her playing on 10,000 recordings is more than... I would assume Is 10 times more than (laughs) the most prolific person who's released music. It's like the top contenders are... Bob Dylan, The Beatles, Elvis, and Frank Sinatra, which I think is like fair because they have quite a few, but definitely like they don't have 10,000. Can you guarantee 10,000? I know. (laughs) She appeared on sessions by Frank Sinatra, Simon and Garfunkel, Stevie Wonder, Barbie Streisand, The Supremes, The Temptations, The Four Tops, and The Monkees. So, you know, no-name groups. Who are they? Yeah. Um, She also played electric bass on Nancy Sinatra's These Boots Are Made For Walkin'. So that's just what I'll do. Yes. (laughs) And she also came up with the introduction on fellow session player Glenn Campbell's hit, which he'd alignment. She later said that during the 1960s, she would sometimes play three or four sessions per day and was pleased that so many of them hit records or created hit records, which that would also please me. Three to four sessions a day. I know. Yeah. That makes sense for 10,000 songs. It's crazy. (laughs) Throughout her work with Phil Spector, she caught the attention of the Beach Boys, Brian Wilson, who used her on several sessions, including the albums Beach Boys Today's, Summer Days, Pet Sounds, and Smile. Um, What I thought was cool about this one, kind of like how I mentioned that something with the bass is that you oftentimes have to kind of work out your own bass lines. Uh, These sessions in particular she had a lot more freedom to create her own and work out her own bass lines. By Pet Sounds, Wilson was asking musicians such as Kay to play 
far more takes than typical sessions, often running over 10 passes of the songs with sessions stretching well into the night. Something I just want to know, if you're not familiar with the Beach Boys, that's fine. But <laughs> Pet Sounds is kind of considered one of the best albums ever. Like if you look up like what are the best albums of all time on any I don't know, major music publications, Pet Sounds will be very, very far up there. So Interesting. just something to know. And also, you know the song Good Vibrations? Like, yeah. Picking up good, good vibrations. vibrations. Exactly. Um, she is the bass player on that and was really significant in how that bass line was created. That's so, awesome. Shout out to Carol Kay. Okay, so as far as later work, so by 1969, uh, she <laughs> was exhausted, valid, <laughs> doing three to four a day, 10,000 songs. I probably would be too. Yeah. And pretty much just got tired of doing session work, which I'm sure at a certain point, you probably would feel a little bit cooped up in there. She said at one point that the music had started to sound like cardboard, mm. which valid at the same time what i thought was interesting is there were newer rock bands they didn't like using session players because they would just prefer to play the instruments themselves i feel like there's maybe like the no i'm more of an artist if i'm playing all of the music myself yeah. and i think now session workers in general aren't used if anything because it's not as cost effective i mean now if you're recording something it would be awesome if you could hire a bass player, a drum player, and a guitar, but like with virtual instruments and things like that, you can oftentimes at least get the sound you want. And the other thing too is like you can just record as many takes as you want until you get it right. So you True. don't need someone who can get it right in the first two times, you know? You can be a little bit more, I don't know, choosy in that way. So unfortunately, session players have a little bit phased out of the music industry in some ways because of those reasons. And so I think she just kind of moved with the times in that sense. I mean, coming in the 80s too is like the electronic drum kit and you know, True. everything that becomes synthesizers and all that. So she decided though to make a change in her career, evolved it from playing primarily pop music to performing mostly soundtrack work, as well as writing and teaching. She wrote a book called How to Play the Electric Bass in a series of tutoring books. And then her soundtrack sessions from the time, including playing on the themes to MASH, uh, the streets of San Francisco and across the 110th Street. She also performed on soundtracks and had worked closely with someone named Lalo Scherfen playing on the theme to Mission Impossible yeah, and the see? soundtrack for Bullet. Another so, thing you never even think about, but the fact mm -hmm. that like the writers of the soundtracks aren't usually like, there's no singer, there's no star. Yeah. It's just a bunch of instrumentalists. Exactly. Like, another career you would never even think about. And yet yeah. every movie has a soundtrack. Every TV show has a soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And I think still it's a it's still pretty common to have actual players like actual orchestras and things playing in movie soundtracks. Yeah. If anything, just because the movies have the budget for it, so <laughs> they'll do it. And I mean, there's just you can't really beat an actual orchestra. No, and definitely not. In pop music, you can get away with like virtual string instruments, but if you're like wanting the sound of an orchestra in your movie score. <laughs> You, you're you, gonna you would just, not. Yeah. You're, 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 <laughs> if you have the money to do it, you will just get the orchestra. Mm -hmm. So anyways, she also regularly collaborated with Quincy Jones, uh, later saying that he, quote, wrote some of the most beautiful themes I've ever heard in my life. And she was a part of Jones's orchestra at the 43rd Academy Awards. So oh, wow. what I thought was cool is that she collaborated with Fender. That is a guitar bass 
music company uh, to produce a lighter version of the precision bass, uh, which was her instrument of choice for a really long time. And I think the idea was she a lighter version so that it wouldn't be like put as much strain on her back and it would be a little bit more comfortable to play. And um, this is funny. In one interview, she said that she believed at the peak of her session activity, she was making more money than the U.S. president. Probably true. Probably true. I don't think it's actually that hard to make more money than the president. I don't know how much the president makes, to Um, be honest. Probably a lot, but I would assume like Taylor Swift is making more than the president. Than the U.S. president. That's valid. (laughs) That's very true. Some styles of her picking. So something about her that's maybe unique as far as bass players go is that she uses a pick on both guitar and bass, but it's normally common on the bass to strum it with your fingers, Mm -hmm. but she uses it. She also typically muted her bass using a piece of felt on top of the strings and in front of the bridge that would kind of reduce unwanted overtones and she said about that for 25 cents you could get the best sound in town wow so, that's very awesome. i know why is it such a thing about using a pick i don't know well i think that some people who are bass players would say that like you're only a real bass player if you play with your fingers or you know what i mean they yeah. like maybe i don't know if it's like look down or if it's just like no the right way to play it is with your fingers, fingers. And also maybe like I know a lot of times when you're like plucking, you can like use both fingers. And so it's like, oh, you can just maybe it's probably a different sound do like faster rhythms or anything because you Mm -hmm. can use both fingers to pluck the bass as opposed to just like I don't know. I'm sure both work, but I know that's like a debate. I know. I'm like, is it one of those things that's like, well, you're not a real this unless you do that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She has achieved such critical acclaim as truly one of the best session bassists of all time. And I'm just going to read some of the nice things that people said about her. Someone named Michael Melinda wrote in Bass Player Magazine, which I love that there's a Bass Player Magazine, said that Kay could listen to other musicians and instantly work out a memorable bass line that would fit with the song, such as her addition to Sonny and Cher's The Beat Goes On. Paul McCartney has said that his bass playing on the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club's band, another very prolific Mm -hmm. big deal album, was inspired by her work on Pet Sounds. Wow. Alison Richer writing in Bass Guitar Magazine has called Kay the first lady of bass playing, adding that her style and influence are in your musical DNA, kind of addressing all bass players. Her solo bass line in Spectre's production of River Deep Mountain High was a key part in the songs wall of sound production and that recording is now in the grammy hall of fame quincy jones said in his autobiography said women like fender bass player carol k could do anything and leave men in the dust (laughs) brian wilson has said that k's playing on the good vibration session was a key part of the arrangement he wanted quote carol played bass with a pick that clicked real good it worked out really well it gave it a hard sound and then dr john has said that k is is a sweetheart as well as a kick-ass bass player so oh this is something interesting too So obviously she's very, very, very admired in the music world. It's kind of like if you know who she is, you know that she is a very, very big deal, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is maybe the ideal situation to be so well-known and well-loved in your field, but like nobody outside of it knows who you are so you can move freely. Mm -hmm. I feel like that is the best situation. Definitely. Can shop at the grocery store, but is still getting paid like really well. A lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 
she never, though, like I said, really expected to be well-remembered. And at the time of her sessions, most of the players, I thought was crazy, thought pop music would not really last longer than 10 years. Interesting. So they thought it was all a phase. And so she's really surprised and honored that people still will even listen to the tracks that she's played on. I didn't know this, but have you ever watched or seen the Amazon series, um, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? Uh, we've talked about it and I've seen the previews and stuff. I just haven't mm-hmm. sit down and dedicated time. So, no, that's fair. I only watched season one, mm-hmm. but apparently there is a character that arrives later, I think season three, that was based off of Carol Kay, which oh, is cool. really cool. But Carol Kay herself has described the character as, quote, having nothing to do with me or my history. They took a few things out of my book and creating created a character that's not even me at all. So whatever. But hey, if you're watching that, just know it's very loosely based off of her. Yeah. And then in 2020, Rolling Stone magazine ranked K number five in its list of the 50 greatest bassists of all time, which is pretty good. Yeah. I did find this interview article um, that came out. It's just from a blog. I think it's just blog.musicman.com. And it was an interview with Carol Kay. And she's still alive. And she just turned 85 last year. I think actually last okay. February. So we're coming up on her birthday. Or no, yeah. wait, um, March 24th is her birthday. So she'll be 86 this year. But it was an interview with her. And I wanted to read some of the questions they asked her along with some of the answers, just because I feel like it really does a good job. At, I mean, obviously, it's in her own words. And I feel like at the end of the day, what's better than getting yeah. her experiences in her own words? But I think it also really shines a light on just who she was and what her priorities were. So from his name's Ernie Ball. He asks, out of all the parts that were good, what do you think your favorite part about working as a studio player was other than, of course, the money and supporting your family? And she said, the money, the respect, and it was a union. If we didn't have a union, there wouldn't have been no 60s because, I mean, no rocker was good enough to cut their own records back then. It was a union that backed us up and provided stable, good pay and respect. It's all about respect. musicians down through the centuries have been slaves of kings and barons and all of that stuff. (laughs) We were slaves. We weren't even first-class citizens. But here I was in the studio making as much as a doctor and being treated like a doctor too. I mean, really respected. That's big, you know? You see these rockers get up on stage and ruin it for themselves with their drugs and their harsh talk and all that. Fun is fun, but there comes a time when you got to straighten up if you want to make money. You You have to be professional, and that's what I'm all about. I so love that. again, I think that like really shows like she mm-hmm. was very, very practical in her approach to things. And her goal was to support herself, support family. She obviously loved music and she did what needed to be done and yeah. found a situation that really, really respected her and thrived in that about just fame. And then, like I mentioned, she had her friend that created something called the wrecking crew but she says now i'm a teacher and i'm a player and you don't live on fame fame is phony it's like a prison you know that one star that called it that she was right it is a prison you have to be careful about that and that's my take on it we've always been known as studio musicians and the 50 or 60 of us were called the click once in a while they'd say let's call the click let's get them booked so they were a group of people, but not yeah. the wrecking crew. And they all thought that was very hokey. And then, okay, this was just cute too. He kind of says like, by the way, March 24th is your birthday. To which she says, can you believe it? I'm just glad I can still play. That's the wild thing. I can still play and I can still teach. He asks her, do you have any big plans? 
No, no. I'm just glad to go to bed and wake up. Just teaching and playing bass. That's the fun now. I've got my fun. It's fun to pass along what you've got because I know what it's going to do for them. It's going to make them happy. We're the ones who make others happy. And what could be better than that? Oh, wow. I like she just that. has such a reverence for her instrument mm. as well and for what she's doing. And this is the last, um, he asked her if there's any like parting advice or parting words um, to which she said, you've got to put music in your life. Force yourself to listen to music and to cool out. Get out and hear some musical groups and notice that the real feelings that come into your life. We're all trying to pretend that things don't hurt or don't matter. We're trying to pretend and put a good face on. That pretend stuff gets to you after a while. It's phony. Music is not phony. When you play music, you're expressing your inner being in a way that you're going to touch someone else's inner soul too. It's something deeper than anything you'll ever do. Keep in touch with music because it will take care of you. That's my advice. Which, wow. Yeah. I mean, especially as a musician, I'm like, you know, love mm -hmm. hearing that. But I just thought that advice can be applied to literally, I mean, obviously all arts of just, we're all trying to pretend things that don't, pretend that things don't hurt, don't matter. But like, no, you should lean into your art. You should learn lean into those things because at a certain point you won't be able to fake it. You know, you can't hide behind it. It's not fake. It's not phony. It's real. It's there. And when you have that ability to touch other people with your art, like don't hide from that, take it, own it and embrace that as opposed to hiding that, you know? And I think that's no, such definitely. a beautiful way that obviously carried through. And I think it's so cool that like now, like she's a teacher, she still teaches she's, you know, late eighties. And the fact that he was like, Oh, are you doing anything fun? And she's like, yeah, my fun is my life. I get to play bass <laughs> and I get to teach bass. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. And I think that's really, really incredible. No, and, it's you know. so fun. Like hearing people like this, you can tell they just like ooze like humility and yeah, uh -huh. like, but pride in their work. But like the ego hasn't really gotten there. Like, but she's mm -hmm. definitely one of the best and like she knows yeah. it. But then she's just like, yeah, like you I'm just live it and that's how you are. Mm -hmm. It's really and incredible. And I, I agree. Like, and I think we talked about this when we did the background singers episode where there's nothing wrong with wanting to be the star. There's nothing wrong with wanting to put yourself out there. But then at the same time, there really is something beautiful about the people who are okay mm -hmm. with being in the background and, yeah. and totally comfortable with being a starring role and I think or a supporting role and I remember that that was something that maybe some of the background singers felt frustrated by where they're like this wasn't my plan b like I'm not a bitter would have been could have been star like yeah. this is what I wanted to do and I'm very very happy and fulfilled doing this because I get to sing which is what I love to do and I get to have all these amazing experiences. Why would that be something bad and sad? And Definitely. I, I think that's, again, it's just like, it's so nice when it's like, there's people who just like love the art and love making it. And that's yeah. enough for them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's beautiful. It is. It's beautiful. And I think it's a part of like the musician career that gets overlooked yeah. a lot. Uh -huh. Like both background singers and, you know, musicians that it's like they're so essential to the process. Like mm -hmm. one person, even if they're writing the lyrics and the music, they can't get up on stage and perform all of it. They can't go True. into the studio and like do everything all of the time, you know, like mm -hmm. there are essential people that are a part of that. that and it's really cool to remember that. I know. So there is Carol Kay. Like I said, it's a very 
it was a very short story. There was a little bit of information about her personal life. I think she's been married a couple of times, has a kid. But like, it almost felt weird diving into that because it's very clear that she doesn't want to be a public yeah. person as well. And so I was like, you know, I'll, I'll respect that. We don't need mm-hmm. to mention that. No, I, Anyways. I like where we've headed. If she wants her music to be the focus, we can do that for her too. Exactly. That's mm-hmm. what I figured. I'm like, she yeah. is not being very vocal. And there was like, even on the Wikipedia page, there was like three lines about her personal life. And usually, you know, <laughs> things are public knowledge so you can find things. But it's like, all right, I don't think she wants this to be yeah. shared. So no, I respect I that. I respect that. But anyway, so there's Carol Kay, one of the most prolific session bass players ever. Mm-hmm. And you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it. But now I hope that you go i'm honestly like wanting to go listen to my plan is to listen to pet sounds oh yeah obviously i knew know the song good vibrations it's a great song so go listen to those songs good ones on here there's wouldn't Mm -hmm. it be nice yes exactly wouldn't it be nice knows Mm mm-hmm yeah, I know these songs. It's, again, it's like you said, it's those songs that like you don't think about. And then when someone reminds you, you're like, wait, I know that song. Yep. And she is the bassist slash guitarist on many, many of these songs. You know, there is a Carol Kay, the best of playlist. Ah, there we go. That someone has put together. So if you do want to, this one is made by Matthew Ditta 1999. Perfect. So if you want to go and listen Thank you, to Matthew. all of her bass guitar... It's there's, right there. Yeah, there's a couple of playlists out there, but that's the one that pops up first. So Incredible. Yeah. Well, amazing. Thank you for joining us for our cu- quick episode this week. But we'll be back next week with our mm-hmm. last week for Women in Rock. And we're just talking about, honestly, a lot of women. Yeah. We'll be shouting them all out. And we're covering I'm a lot of people this month. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> it's exciting. But it yeah. Exciting. And then we're just excited for the rest of the year. Always good things planned. Hopefully Mm -hmm. this new setup is good and we'll continue to kind of mess with it. And I mean, like, bonus, if you watch the YouTube video, you get to see my dog pop up every once in a while. True. And we're going to make it cuter, too. Also, Mm -hmm. I'm moving to an apartment in, like, two months, and I'm very excited about it. Well, to a new apartment Mm -hmm. because that one has, like, a window. Yeah. Right now, my setup is right by my bed because I'm in a one-bedroom apartment. So excited for my two bedrooms. It happens. I know. I'm, like, I've got two ring lights and a window, so I'm very well lit. But Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get there. (laughs) We're we're figuring it out. Yeah, definitely. All new in the 2024. So join us next week. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Um, Don't forget to follow on Instagram. Subscribe on all of your platforms. Follow us on TikTok. Subscribe on YouTube. You know. All the things. We're everywhere. We'd love to have you here as well. And we'll see you next time. Yay. Bye. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.